Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, beautiful people. Welcome back. Uh, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Danyapur. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Uh, we really appreciate all the uh, the emails that we've gotten and requests for topics and things like that. So be sure that we will answer them in due time. Today we got something uh, very common. I think this is a very practical episode because we are going to talk about Things that occur both with and without plastic surgery, and that is the management of a scar. Absolutely. Um, one of the most frequently uh, commented or asked questions is, you're going to fix my scar, or you're going to close my cut, it's going to heal scarlessly, right? Because you're a plastic surgeon. <laughs> Yes. Now, what we're going to do, I think, is maybe we will debunk some of these myths and kind of go over what qualities we look for in a scar. First of all, diagnosing the right type of scar, because obviously each scar is different. And there's a very commonly misused term that we'll kind of go over and give you the, the appropriate definition. We'll talk about how to manage some uh, an incision or a laceration or something like that immediately. We'll go six weeks down the line, three months down the line, a year down the line. And then we'll kind of go over what you need to do if you present with an unsightly scar, because there are all kinds of options that we do have. And remember, scars are formed from either traumatic, where you get a cut, or they're acquired in the sense that we form them ourselves um, from surgery, of cutting something out, or, or certain things like that. Now, obviously, scars, you come to, to us and as plastic surgeons, if we're going to operate on you, we do everything in our power to hide scars. And why do we do that? It's because we know that everyone heals a little differently. And it's very important to keep this in mind. How I heal and how Dr. Lakey heals is different because innately we have different genetic pattern and different types of collagen. And the way the collagen, it all comes down to how the collagen is kind of laid down. Now, the reason we hide scars is for that exact reason. We don't know how it's going to heal. We always, most plastic surgeons, always close um, incisions in multiple layers with a what's called a tension-free closure because really what, what makes scars heal poorly most of the time, if it's not for genetic factors, is tension. And the more tension something's put on, the higher the likelihood that it's not going to heal well. Um, so, you know, generally speaking... 
Let's talk about, we're going to talk about lacerations first mm-hmm. uh, and then go from there. How does that sound? Sure. That sounds good. I think, you know, as far as lacerations, so obviously it's a traumatic cut to the skin um, as opposed to something that is controlled, that would be a surgical incision. And so obviously the management for these things can be slightly different. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about in the beginning. So, you know, obviously we have a, a 24-hour laceration service called Stitch MD. We started this early on in practice and it started with all the pediatricians sending their kids over. And now it's just expanded to including more plastic surgeons. And, and now we have kids through adults that use this service. And really what it is, is it bypasses the emergency room. You're seen by a plastic surgeon and they follow you throughout the year. I will tell you right now, and I'll preface everything right now, that a laceration or an incision, 50% of it is the way it is closed, how we manage it, you know, really to help seal the wound. The other 50% is the management that follows afterwards. So you can close your wound as, as seamlessly as possible. But if you don't use appropriate management to follow up with, uh, the scar won't heal the best that it can. It's interesting because some people don't know just the simple things to avoid. One of the most important things you avoid is sun. And, and we tell people, you know, what, when it's a kid that comes in with mom and dad, we'll turn around and say, what's really important is sunscreen and sun avoidance. So if you're going to be in the sun after laceration to your face, for example, sunscreen, wear a hat, do whatever you can, because what ends up happening is the sun will want to tattoo that incision, make it really dark, mm-hmm. and we want it to heal really light. So that's that's one of those main things. The other thing is, obviously, the kid's not smoking, but if you're a smoker, um, we talked about this in almost all of our episodes, Wound healing is really impeded and inhibited mm-hmm. um, with cigarette smoking. And, and in a simple, in a nutshell, the way it works is uh, nicotine will actually make um, the, the little tiny little blood vessels that feed the skin, it'll vasoconstrict them. Basically means that it clamps down those vessels and the blood supply to the skin gets shut off and the, the healing process really takes a turn. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here's what we'll say. So, you know, in this particular aspect, we'll treat lacerations and incisions the same way. Obviously, you know, I'll never forget, I've told you this story before, um, you know, I came, both of us did five years of general surgery, I'm board certified in general surgery, and my first case that I did in plastic surgery, uh, the attending asked me, you know, you finished general surgery, right? And he said, yeah. He said, all five years? And he said, let me tell you, how, let me show you how to sew. And here I'm coming out of cracking chest and saving people in trauma. And, you know, I think I'm on top of the world. And I was so humbled in the way he taught me to sew. And now I see how completely different it is. It's not that uh, another surgeon is incapable. It's that we're just trained differently. And so, um, you know, the idea for us is we like to repair every single layer. We want to restore normal form and function. I know I've said it in a previous podcast, form and function obviously is paramount. And so, but form requires, you know, not just stapling across the wound or gluing it or something like that. It may seem like a quick fix, 
But the idea is we want to repair every single layer. And it's interesting. In general surgery, what was important was what was below the skin. And and really, most when you got into a case, your attending kind of helped you or you helped them, you did the case. And really, it was important that the gallbladder came out or the colon <laughs> came out or your lung came out or whatever mm. what you were doing. Um, and the, the most superficial layer... You stapled, you gave it to the intern to close. Mm-hmm. You gave it to anyone to close. It was like, oh, have the janitor in the, in the closet come out and close this. Because it didn't matter. Yes. Because what mattered for the general surgeon or for the other surgeons that were saving a life or was taking care of what's underneath. Now, as plastic surgeons, when they come to you, all they see, and I'll never forget one of our attendings turn around and goes, all they see is the final cut. Mm-hmm. They don't see anything underneath, so you got to make that look good. Very true. You can have the best facelift in the world, the perfect contour, but if you've got ugly scars, you've just failed that entire operation. So, you know, the idea for us, again, take home point, we close in multiple layers. Now, And, and one of the hardest things with that is, you know, we do, we close everyone the same. But the hard part is some people heal really well, and some people don't. And, and during this podcast, we're going to talk about those that heal well. Well, you're going to listen to this and say, I heal well. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Those that don't, there are ways that we can prevent you from getting uh, keloids, hypertrophic scars, or at least try. And for those of you that heal well, listen, we're going to give you the best possible chance. So if you heal well, we'll help you heal better. I'll and it's interesting you- because we could take the same tummy tuck scar exactly that we do two different people and treat them exactly the same. One will come out with a tiny thin line and sometimes someone comes out with a thicker, ropier, darker scar. So again, remember everyone heals differently, but we do everything in our power to make everyone heal the best as possible. Sure. So right off the bat, we know we close in multiple layers. And one of the common questions, all right, let's say I use uh, stitches that have to come out versus dissolvable stitches. And which ones are better? You know, in kids, we often use ones that are dissolvable only because we barely got, uh, you know, the chance to hold them down and and sew it up. And now they know what's coming. There's not a chance that they're going to let you lay them down and take those stitches out. And so rather than ruin the wound, we put in dissolvable stitches. So uh, there are multiple studies that show, you know, we have to look at, we have to look at the way the incision heals in the short term period, but we also have to look at the one year outcome because that's really, um, you know, the scar goes through a special phase, a wound, it's an inflammatory phase. And then we hit a proliferative phase and a maturation phase. And so by the time the scar is fully matured, which means you know, there's a matrix that's constantly being built up and uh, you know, broken down, it usually averages out to be about a year. So we have multiple studies that show that the final appearance, you know, usually close to a year, is about the same. And so there's no real need to use stitches that have to come out. And this is a, a study that was done in children lacerations. Um, you know, it's interesting, the timing that you give it, it's, it's, it's great because I just, I remember seeing a patient a couple of weeks ago that we did a, a breast augmentation and a mastopexy and a mastopexy is a lift where we put scars on the breast and her scarring was really kind of not, not very good. And I have a picture of her at a year and you can really see the scars. They were a little wide and they were a little darker. And I think she moved out of the country. She came back eight years later. And I actually have the pictures and I look at them and I sometimes show patients. Eight years later, scars are gone. You can't even see them. So, um, you know, 
time is your best <laughs> friend in a sense. In the sense when when they say time heals all wounds. Mm-hmm. Um, no this pun is what intended. they're referring to. This is exactly <laughs> so what they're so, referring to. So, so, so sometimes if you don't have an inherent <laughs> problem with wound healing, don't have keloids, it's not a hypertrophic scar, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer and you'll see it'll fade by itself. This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. So what we can do, we can give you some pro tips. So let's say you undergo surgical procedure or you had a la- an emergency laceration that's been repaired by a plastic surgeon. Thank goodness. Now, how do we manage it? So when we look at the immediate period, um, as soon as the wound itself has sealed up and looks clean, there is an option. If it is a linear wound, we have one of a kind, it's of its only kind that has level 1A data that shows that it will, however you heal, it will make your scar heal better. And that's called the embrace scar therapy. Maybe you can touch on that. Embrace scar therapy is basically a pre-stretched silicone sheet. What I want you to think about is just a clear sticker, okay? But it's not that simple. That when placed on a wound, kind of shrink wraps it in a sense. Again, it, it makes it, the key to the treatment that we're trying to provide is preventing the scar from widening and keeping it so it's a nice thin line. Now, this is a pre-stretched silicone sheet. Unlike regular just silicone sheets that we place on the scar, this, when you put it on, it sticks and it kind of shrinks the area. Now, offloads all the tension. Offloads tension. That's the perfect word. 10 days at a time, and these are so sticky, they actually stay on. And then we change it six times. So, for 60 days, we apply this dressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and these are um, these are controlled studies that were performed, prospective studies, where they treated one side of a tummy tuck wound because uh, arguably it's one of the greatest incisions uh, that are under tension because you're kind of hunched over a little bit and, um, you know, it's a great, great scar to test on. So they tested half of it using the embrace, and the other half with, with traditional, you know, uh, steri strips and things like that. And the results were so dramatic, which we really attribute to the offloading of tension, um, that these uh, dressings went on the market. So for any linear incision um, that's able to, uh, you know, it's not necessarily over a joint, um, this is a dressing that we put on for the first 60 days. So it's great. So it's great for things like. A tummy tuck, mm. a breast augmentation, or skin, skin cancer resection on the back, or a brachioplasty. Anything, again, that you can apply, imagine, just a clear sticker that's not going to have a curve to it or anything like that. Obviously, you're not going to stick it on a nose. Mm-hmm. So, And we've tried it on the face, but sometimes the oils on the face um, prevent it from really sticking for a prolonged amount of time. So I do think there, there are better alternatives most just because it's easier for you on the face. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a linear incision, let's say it's a facelift incision that curves all through the hairline and around the ears and things like that, or um, it's a rhinoplasty incision, something that's very small, we use something, you know, usually I, again, I, I wait for about three weeks. Um, in the beginning, we use a an antibiotic ointment to really help stave off the bacteria, to keep the wound hydrated. 
um, and uh, to to really help the process along in this short term period. Very important what he just said. Take home message. Write this down to keep the wound hydrated. You know, old wives' tale for years and years and years was dry a wound, dry it, dry, keep it dry, have let, it scab let over. Air at it. Let air let get it, at it air out. Important guys, keep any wound that you have moist. Now. Antibiotic ointment's great. We prefer bacitracin over neosporin. The reason for that is neosporin can become very irritated. So you can really irritate your skin and become uh, very red from it after prolonged use. So um, bacitracin is a great way to keep any type of wound, uh, even if it's a scab or or like a little abrasion or a laceration. Second thing, if you don't have any of that, you could use Aquaphor. Anything to just keep the area moist, keep going. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. And uh, uh, those are great points to add. And um, I think at that point, you know, usually around uh, two to three weeks, then we start the scar gel. And the scar gel, this is not Moderna, uh, uh, mo- you know, uh, sorry, uh, Moderma. Moderma. We think not, about Moderma because everyone's getting vaccinated. The vaccine. Uh, Moderma, which is onion skin extract, I have, you know, they have a great marketing campaign, but actually absolutely zero data to show that it works. Um, but this is a silicone type gel. You know, we obviously, we use one uh, from our line in Beverly Hills MD, which is called Advanced Scar Therapy. We have uh, titrated the uh, percent of silicone and, um, you know, its polymers. And the idea is that it traps in moisture onto the skin. And again, the idea is if you can raise the internal temperature by one degree Celsius, uh, you know, you will uh, calm the wound and allow that matrix to heal much quicker. Um, the other thing that we do, usually at about three weeks, uh, it would be the earliest six weeks ideal, is that we start scar massage. And you have to imagine, scar is fibrous tissue. And the idea is it sticks almost like Velcro. So especially in a a portion of the face that moves or a body part that moves, it can become tethered. Everybody knows what a tethered scar looks like. It's for sure any female who's ever had, you know, they call it a bad C-section scar. It's because the scar is tethered. It causes an indentation. So the idea is circular massage, small little circular bits of massage can help loosen up that fibrous tissue and allow the skin to glide. Therefore, you lose that tethering. And we prefer this in... in the immediate post-op period, you know, a couple of weeks after. However, sometimes you see patients that you see a year later and they have a contracted scar. Mm-hmm. And that can help as well. And it does two things. One is it, it literally just breaks up the scar and helps from it forming that thickened scar and a contracted scar. And the other thing is there's some hypotheses that say that just the warmth and the touch from your finger helps collagen to become more organized. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the whole part of wound healing is how we lay down our collagen and how organized it is. The more unorganized it is, and the type of collagen as well, but the more unorganized it is, the worse it heals. I the more say organized the it is, thing. the better. Yeah, I would say the same thing. It's like the body will always sacrifice uh, form for function. It will throw collagen into a wound like a yarn ball. But by the end of that year, that yarn ball becomes a silk sheet. And so that's what he means by organized collagen. It's a nice flat sheet uh, of healing. And so, and that's uh, why we tell people when they come see us at week seven, eight, 12, and they're like, oh my God, my scar looks awful. Mm-hmm. Like it's so red. What are we going to do? And we turn around and we tell you, oh, this is exactly the way it should look. 
it's not because we're crazy or we're trying to push you away. It's because scars heal like that. Sure. And it takes time. There's a, there is a whole progression of what's called scar healing or wound healing with what Dr. Lakey just talked about. And it takes time. It really does. And it's because your own body is doing its thing. Mm -hmm. You know, usually by six to eight weeks, that wound is about 85% as strong as it's ever going to be. And so we really have to wait. That's why, you know, for us, the magic number after surgery, I'm, when can I work out? When can I go in the water? When can I do these things? This is six weeks because we know not only is the wound sealed, but it also has, you know, 85% strength to it. But it doesn't mean it's going to look the way it's supposed to. So it's you're you're ready to do what you want to do. We're going to apply skin uh, uh, topical ointments and, and scar care. However, the actual final result is going to take much longer because that scar that we we have there is going to be raised. And it's going to be what's called hyperpigmented normally, which means it's got a little more color to it. And really the last thing to go away in a scar is the color. So you have to be patient with that. Yeah. And another, th you know, newer therapy that can be used, it's the slowly building its data portfolio is red light therapy. Speeds up the wound healing process, reduces inflammation, and really inflammation is, uh, you know, either inflammation or heat is what causes hyperpigmentation. So inflammation will cause, you know, the matrix to stir up those melanocytes and create more, uh, a darker pigmentation. So if we can reduce that, then hypothetically, the scar will uh, at least be more color matched to the surrounding skin. So simply put, you have a scar, whether it's surgical or it's traumatic. Um, about two weeks after, two to three weeks after, we'll start some scar treatment. And the scar treatment is going to be one of three things. It's either going to be the embrace dressing, which is really the, the, the Rolls-Royce or Bentley of scar care. However, it has limitations. Approximately 8% of the people have some kind of adhesive allergy, so can't, they can't use it. Um, and sometimes it's just not in, in a good enough location. That's one option. Second option, which is probably the most common option, is scar uh, cream. And scar cream should always be silicone-based. If it's not silicone-based, it's like a Mederma, um, which is onion skin extract, which really does absolutely nothing. So scar cream that's silicone-based, normally used twice a day, and sometimes I tell people to use it for three to six months. And lastly, which is something that has a ton of data behind, is just silicone sheets. Um, so prior to, to silicone-based cream, there were silicone sheets, and there's a ton of data behind it. And what this does, it's almost similar to what your finger does when, when, when you actually massage something. It, ju it just applies gentle pressure on the wound. Keeps it hydrated and helps it somewhat organize over time. Now, I love using silicone sheets around an areola. Um, they actually have a cutout for the areola and it works really nicely. So one of those things that you can't put an embrace on because it's not a linear scar, but it's a circular scar. And it works very well. I have them just put a little silicone sheet on there, go from there. Some people use it on their face as well, and it's effective. It's also really effective for keloid scars, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. And uh, lastly, but not least, this is extremely important. And again, Dr. Danipore had brought it up first, was the avoidance of direct sunlight. So do you have to avoid direct sunlight forever? No, but you know, the idea would be at least the first six to eight weeks. You know, So we always say 
three months to play it safe, uh, no direct sunlight. And if you are, obviously you need a mechanical block, something like a zinc oxide, titanium dioxide, because those newly healing cells will soak up sun like a tattoo. And so the idea is to avoid that because we want to eliminate as much pigment as possible. Absolutely. And a quick teaching point from, from what you said earlier, um, what sets a plastic surgeon apart from most other surgeons or your family family practitioner or your primary care doctor? Or even I had a friend yesterday that called me from uh, North Carolina who was a PA and she said, I had a, a really bad laceration. What should I do with this? And I said, you know, this was, she already fixed it. And she was like, what should I have done? And she told me what she did. And I said, well, that's not what you should have done because all she did was just close the top layer. The key to closing an incision and again, residents all around, whether you're a plastic surgery resident, because you already probably know this, or any other resident, the dermal layer is what really gives you that integrity of your scar. So if the dermal layer is put together, and what we do is plastic surgeons are known to be compulsive about putting what's called deep dermal sutures. We put a ton of stitches in on the deep layer that's hidden to keep the scar together so it doesn't widen. And that is one of those things that when you go to an emergency room or, or an urgent care center, when they come and they just put a bunch of stitches on the outside and they say, go home, you take those outside stitches out at seven days and the wound opens just a little bit, that's when you get that widened scar. So everyone out there who's a doc or if you're not, and if you take your kid to, to, to an ER or if you go to an ER, just turn around and say, listen, I want to make sure that a plastic surgeon stows me up because they'll know to put deep dermal sutures in. Mm-hmm. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's PlasticsDocs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. So now that we've kind of brought you through what happened with fresh incisions, at least, uh, you know, there's some key basic uh, tenets that will allow you to heal as best you can. Now the true crux is of, of this entire episode is management of a scar that you already have. Let's say you didn't take care of it well. Someone else didn't close it correctly. Uh, you thought it would heal on its own, so you decided to get nothing, nothing done to it. And now you or you just don't heal well, right? Or you don't, or you just don't heal well. And, and that's something there, guys. So remember that of everything Dr. Lakey said is true. Sometimes something went wrong, but also sometimes it's just you. And mm-hmm. those are the hardest ones to tackle. Like if you know your keloid former, we have patients that come in here for for tummy tucks that have thick and ropey keloid scars for their C section. It makes it a little more complicated for us in the sense that we will speak to the to the patient and tell them there is a likelihood that you will get a keloid scar again because you've already got one. Mm-hmm. The, you know, firstly, I think it's important, you know, as I alluded to earlier, one of the common myths or, or common phrases that are misused is I keloid. Now, uh, you know, make no mistake, there are three types of scars. One is the normal response to wound healing that leads to fibrous deposition of the skin. That is a scar. Two is an abnormal, thickened response. Uh, This is an abnormal response to wound healing, which is known as a hypertrophic scar. That's when you get slightly raised, 
thickened. Sometimes it can look like an earthworm, um, you know, slightly widened. Sometimes it can cause irritation, itching, pain, even things like that. A keloid scar is a genetic aberration which creates a, uh, an abnormal response to wound healing that grows outside of the, the parameters of the wound. And one of the most common areas that we could see um, is uh, on the earlobe. Some, you know, it's most commonly in African-Americans, some Asians, um, where you will pierce your ear and all of a sudden it will lead to this abnormal response of wound healing. And I've seen ones, you know, that are the size of, uh, you know, a small, uh, a, like a yeah, crab apple or, you know, a, you can get them as big as a plum and, you know, even bigger. But the idea, you know, in this practice, we had someone that um, I remember, you know, she was African-American. Uh, she had two lacerations of her uh, ear lo- lobes, um, you know, so wore large earrings. They eventually tore through her ears and repaired those. She repaired with a scar that came back the size of a pea. And so I thought, all right, well, maybe we'll just, you know, obviously knowing that this is a, a keloid scar, I figure we'll at least revise this. And, and maybe it was that there was a too much tension. And that's where I thought, you know, that's where my thought process was was wrong. Um, we had, you know, again, there's an example of a patient that I remember early in practice, he was an African-American male that came uh, after having an abdominoplasty somewhere else. And oh he had God, keloid scars. He had keloid scars everywhere, including around the belly button. And I thought, oh man, well, listen, we're the best. So we revised the scars, put it together. They looked absolutely beautiful. And guess what? He developed keloid scars again. Yeah, jokes on us. Yep. And so the the third time, I thought, you know, we, we so we took him back one more time, and I thought, all right, we we have to do something different. And that's when we used the embrace scar therapy. Yeah, it was the only thing that present prevented him from. And honestly, like scars. like miracle, like yeah. like a like a complete miracle. Now, with that said, is there anything else you can do to keloid scars to to prevent them or to treat them other than using the embrace? Well, there is. And so, you know, I, I even want to take a step back right off the bat because we said there are three types of scars, define those scars, and, but there are really three characteristics of scars that we need to treat. Uh, um, and the, the reasons why scars appear the way they do. One is the color, two is the texture. So it means whether it's raised, sunken in, atrophic. And the third is the location. If you have a scar, an incision that's over a knee, a joint, uh, you know, something that bends, you have to imagine it's continually under tension. And so the, that's where you're usually going to get, uh, you know, thickened scars. Um, so now dealing with those three things. Now uh, we're looking at keloid scars. Is there something else that can be done? Yes. First of all, we always, you know, uh, the first line of defense, whether it's a hypertrophic scar, whether it's a uh, keloid scar, or even you know something that just looks a little unsightly, what we'll do is we'll inject with a, uh, a, a dilute steroid. And we don't truly know the mechanism of steroids, but we knew that it we know that it thins tissue, reduces inflammation, and the combination of those two things can improve the quality of the scar. Now. You have to do it correctly. It has to be injected into the right area because if you inject uh, concentrated steroids, 
you will cause the surrounding normal tissue to become atrophic uh, and it can be almost impossible to correct. So we dilute our steroids. Uh, you know, for all the other physicians, you probably know this, but it's usually a one in 10 dilution, whether it's Kenalog 10 or 40, uh, depending on the severity of the scar. But the idea is you want to inject it directly into the scar, not into the surrounding good. tissue. Yeah, listen, it's a, it doesn't feel great, but it can be very uh, beneficial. And, and the key to it, guys, again, what, what Dr. Lakey's saying is, and even as a patient, if you're going to go get scar management, because everyone, anyone can do it. I mean, anyone gets some catalog and just try and sit alone and just put it in someone's scar. Just be careful mm-hmm. because number one, too much or, or too concentrated of a dose will cause um, irreversible damage. Literally irreversible damage. There's nothing you can do to fix it. Mm-hmm. And number two, too many injections. Mm-hmm. So we draw the line at three um, because that's, again, that's how we've been taught in our world. Um, we believe that injecting too much steroids in an area can thin it, can cause it uh, cause it to look very, um, you can get concavities and it could be to the point where literally there's no other way to fix it. And obviously we tailor that according to each patient. Sometimes we'll give a little more if we do see an advantage to doing exactly. it. Um, but if there's no, you know, no real benefit after three injections, we usually stop and move to something else. Um, you know, to go back to your initial question, is there something else that can be done for keloid scars? Again, that's, this is a completely separate discussion because basically what we're going to do is comment on regular scars, uh, traditional scars and hypertrophic scars, but, uh, keloids have to be managed a little differently. This is where we excise, you can either freeze the area using cryotherapy. You excise or remove the scar, but if you do that, you have to get radiation therapy to the area afterwards. I think the rest of the conversation that we'll have here is really dedicated towards the more common scars, which will be hypertrophic and and traditional scars. So now, what's your go-to now? Let's say we've injected three times, we don't see a result. Uh, What would you you generally do? Uh, move to next for a keloid scar? Or just uh, no, no, no. It's keloids will put off the table. Just hypertrophic and traditional. Scars. And again, I'm I'm super conservative when it comes to scars, in the sense that I again I think that they heal on their own, and if you give them enough time, they will go, they will get better. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing is in this office we have it all, mm-hmm. and and we've tried it all. So it depends if your if your scar if the issue with your scar is color. Mm-hmm. then it's a different type of treatment. Definitely. And the best treatment for that, in my opinion, at least what we have is the Pico laser. It's an NDAG laser. We can use a 1064 or 532 wavelength and really try to pull the pigment out. Um, I even use it for moles uh, and it works really nicely. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would use if it was strictly pigment. I wouldn't even think about something else because I do think it's very effective. What if it's a little thicker, you see a hypertrophic scar, it's slightly raised, um, you know, let's say it's a tummy tuck scar. We've done it and you the contour looks absolutely amazing and all of a sudden they lower the underwear a little bit and you see that scar and it's thickened and boy, it just looks unsightly. No. You've tried injections, you know, up to three, now what? You know, one of the go-to things to do, which again, right back to collagen production, is microneedling mm-hmm. or any type of injury using um, needles. So you can use microneedling. You can use microneedling with radio frequency. So regular microneedling is what we talk about. You, you use them, you know, like just like what we called up before the, the vampire facial or whatever it is. It's causing dermal injury to 
just little pinpoint injuries to the scar itself so we can trick your body into forming new collagen from below and helping the scar out. Sometimes, if the microneedling isn't intense enough, so to say, you can use something like Morpheus. You can use something like Fractora. You can use something like Profound. Um, our preferred is Morpheus. Um, and it uses microneedling and radiofrequency to really cause um, deep dermal injury to cause collagen production to hopefully heal everything from below. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think microneedling and, and microneedling, with, microneedling with radiofrequency is a great option because you're essentially trying to bring in normal collagen. The more you can mix normal collagen in with fibrous scar tissue, the more normal the scar is going to look. Um, and, you know, and then if that doesn't work, um, you can always revise the scar. And we leave scar revision Guys, listen to this because it's important to one year after surgery. Mm -hmm. The longer we wait, the better. Now, have I been, have I ever been that rule? Sure, I've completely. I did recently. I had a, I had a lady that we did a mommy makeover on, and she had the worst keloids I have ever seen. And unlike everything I've said to you guys in this podcast, I took her back, I think at like six months, because she was very uncomfortable. Now, knowing deep in my heart and soul that she's probably going to get it again. So what did I do? I cut out the scars. I injected them immediately with Kenalog when I closed it. And then at week two, I started the embrace. The embrace wouldn't stick for her. She had an adhesive allergy. So now I've switched off to just silicone scars. And on top of it, a little bit of praying. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, those silicone sheets can definitely help. You know, originally used in burn surgery just to try to flatten out some of the, those hypertrophic scars. Um, and so, you know, the good part about another option that we have prior to revision is the fractionated CO2 laser. Um, CO2 laser is almost like it, the, you know, the chromophore's water. And what it does, it's almost like aerating a lawn. You know how you poke holes in the lawn and grass grows? The idea is you're poking microscopic holes into the scar. And again, you're trying to get some collagen deposition and ingrowth. And oftentimes it will also leach out some of the pigment. Um, and so that can also be a good one to punch right there. I often, you know, if I have any rhinoplasty scars, you know, the alar base at the end or right in the middle between the nostrils, if I do an open rhinoplasty, um, you know, I will laser those scars to the point where you know, sometimes just in one session, they'll become completely imperceptible the way they should look. And, and there's some other new treatments for scars. Um, and one of them being for facial scars has been Botox. Um, and, and some people say micro Botox in and around a scar on the face can help um, make it heal better. Um, it's something that just started over the last couple of years. I personally have not done a ton of it, um, but I actually removed a, a tiny lipoma off a young lady's forehead yesterday um, that I'm going to start Botoxing probably about a week or two after. And the thought process behind it is if the muscles around the scar are not moving as much, then there's there's not much tension on the scar as well. So I think that helps. Um, and, that, and that goes along with the embrace scar therapy, just by eliminating tension, because we have natural resting tension lines all over the skin. They're called Langer's lines. Um, you know, and the idea is our, our body pulls in a, in a certain direction. It's because of the amount of collagen and elastin we have. Imagine if you cut yourself, you know, a big gaping wound on the, uh, on, on the shoulder. Well, it's not going to be a thin line. It's going to gape apart just because of the, the, the natural resting tension. And so 
just by adding little, tiny little bits of Botox, if we can, you know, uh, atrophy the mus- muscle uh, uptake in that area, or even the properties of the skin, uh, myofibrils and things like that, the idea is that w- you don't get the same contraction. Um, so that's why it's been, an, uh, you know, an effective option. I'll tell you how it works for me because I haven't done it much. I did read an article about it, so we'll see what we'll see what happens. <laughs> This is Dr. John Lakey at Forever Young. Hope you're enjoying the show. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. The other, you know, thing, um, you know, again, we talked about location. If something's over a joint, and uh, one of our other podcasts, you talked about Z-plasties and burn surgery, and the idea is the Z-plasty takes a straight line, and believe it or not, you cut it into a Z-type pattern, and you transpose two of the ends, and it lengthens the scar. So if I can, based off of a particular angle of that Z, uh, I can increase the length of a scar by 15, 25, 40%, um, now you no longer have as much of that tension. So we used to do this for a lot of burn scars just because you'd lengthen the wound. You know, as we said before, now we had a guy who uh, went from being unable to lift his arms to being able to grab something from the top shelf at the grocery store. So, you know, that is, uh, that's one of those options as well. Now, and again, that's good for certain areas. So, so you don't necessarily do a Z-plasty, you know, on a, mm-hmm. on a tummy tuck incision. So just so you guys understand, has to be an area that's, a, that's, that's, causing some scar contracture that we need to lengthen the wound so it actually sits better. Mm-hmm. And the, the, as you said last, you know, the last resort you save at one year um, for most situations. Obviously, there are, you know, outliers where you say, all right, the only option is going to be to revise the scar, but is to revise the scar at one year. And obviously for us, a lot of you are saying, all right, well, listen, they scarred poorly in the first place. Go ahead, revise it. It's going to do the same thing. Not always, especially when you are operating under tension. So imagine you created uh, this tight abdominal closure and a tummy tuck, and there's uh, just a hundred times the amount of tension that occurs there. So of course you get a thickened scar. Now when you go back and you revise the scar and you create a nice little thin line, you have minimal tension. And so the scar tends to heal better. Now, in those individual, listen, you always have to plan to do something a little bit different. So, I, right. you know. So, so you can inject it with Kenalog mm-hmm. or, or steroids right at the time. Definitely put either silicone sheets or embrace or something. You have to make sure that you're doing something different because you know what the definition of an insanity is, right? Mm. Doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So you have to throw a little bit of a curveball. Now, unless it wasn't your own scar and you're revising someone else's scar and you could just think that you're much better. (laughs) Which is often the case. Um, You know, the idea, I just had a patient, uh, this was a few weeks ago. She had horrible scars. Now, this is uh, someone who came from a different surgeon, had a procedure, um, very thickened scars on her breast and abdomen. Um, and so ended up revising them, but she, um, you, you know, she's always been very, uh, I should say it's very irritating when she has dissolvable stitches. So the idea is we use stitches that have no, they're inert. They have no reactive activity. And those are the stitches that have to come out. 
Um, you know, so sometimes we'll change our suture or stitch choice based off of the fact on if someone uh, appears to be more reactive to a dissolvable stitch, then we'll use something that's permanent and, and needs to be removed. Um, at the end of the day, the goal is to improve the color, texture, and uh, and almost uh, you know camouflage the location of a scar. Um, and so, you know, hopefully we can we've given you at least the rundown of what to do in the beginning. Sure. And, and the one thing that we didn't cover is is, and I kind of hit on it earlier about genetics. Um, everybody heals. Everybody heals very differently, but it does matter. Your your where you're from and what your genetic makeup is. Um, in a nutshell, if I can kind of just simplify things, the lighter the skin, the better it normally heals. And that's just these are just textbooks. The darker the skin, the higher the chance that there's going to be either a hyperpigmented or thickened component. Now. Um, People from Asian descent um, or, or Middle Eastern descent, also you see a little bit different wound healing characteristics in the sense that there's a possibility that they scar worse. And I say that because I do a ton of breast surgery. And it's interesting because when you put a breast implant in a person and you notice that they keloid, sometimes they also form a tougher scar around their implant as well. And sometimes you look at it and you're like, well, this person just doesn't heal very well. And elective surgery needs to be um, really thought out very carefully for these people because you want to make sure either you really hide the incisions or basically throw the kitchen sink at them so ba so they don't form these bad scars because sometimes these keloid scars really are painful. Um, they, they are unsightly, but we want to make sure the number one thing is that you're not uncomfortable. Now, moving along from just cuts, there are other types of scars as well that we deal with um, that are acquired over the years. And they're there are scars that, scars that happen from childhood acne. Um, and those acne scars on the face are very, very difficult psychologically for people, emotionally, um, physically. It really just makes people not have the type of confidence that you want. And for years, you know, the treatment hasn't been very good. However, I think we are getting better and better and better over time. Um, how do you like treating these acne scars? The pitted acne scars on the cheek, um, on uh, around the temporal area. You know, people come in and beautiful women, beautiful men that have really deepened scars. Now, men can cover it up with their beard, so it's a little easier. But women that have deep pitted acne scars, there's so much you can do with makeup, because again, these aren't just linear scars. They're actually concavities. The texture in the t of, of the skin is different. And that's something that's a little more difficult. Yeah, I think, and just to clarify, we're not talking about active acne. These are, we're doing post-inflammatory phase. This is just discussing, you know, ice pick acne scarring, because that's a completely separate podcast on itself, uh, you know, how to manage the skin and, and things like that. But um, I think now one of the treatments that we have is the microneedling with radiofrequency. I think, you know, it was really designed for that. The benefit, uh, the cosmetic benefit we found is that it actually creates more collagen and tightens the skin, but it does uh, fill in some of the 
the acne the, the ice pick acne scars and so we can improve the the quality of the skin just using that microneedling and radio frequency and for us you know our go to has been the morpheus um and uh you know yeah I, I like to i like to kind of treat you know depending on how old somebody is I like to always, if I can, pre-treat everybody with triluma or some sort of 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 retin-A or tretinoin, if we can do that, to to get them ready for some kind of ablative procedure. Um, and when I say ablative procedure, we want to. It's kind of if you can think about sanding the skin, um, which is very similar to dermabrasion. What we want to do is make the skin smooth. So. Old school way of doing it, people used to dermabrade and they used to go take a take a tiny little machine that would sand the skin. Is it effective? Somewhat, but it would take many, many, many treatments. It wasn't comfortable, it's painful, and it's a little bit more of an outdated thing. Second thing was somebody who didn't have the downtime, couldn't tolerate the pain. I like using what's called the Pico laser, which is a fractional um, type of resurfacing requires many treatments, but it's effective. Then going down the line, like you just said, the Morpheus, excellent, phenomenal, probably my go-to right now because it's right in between the Pico and my next option, which is the CO2 laser. The, the Morpheus is great. You can do it under local anesthesia. I recommend doing three sessions, six to eight weeks apart, and I th- and then waiting about a year to see the results. But I think you can have excellent results for acne scars. And then last but not least is a fractionated CO2 laser. It's fractionated CO2 laser to me is probably the best ablative laser. It works very well. Um, I just saw a patient that we did the CO2 laser for his face, uh, I want to say three or four years ago, loved it. He feels like most of his, his acne scarring is gone, but he wants to do it one more time because he saw such great effects. With that, there's about a seven to 10 day downtime because you feel like you're a burn victim because we are literally peeling off a layer of your skin. Um, and then the last option is also peels. So you can also have chemical grade peels. My opinion, the lasers are better than the peels. Um, but the peels are effective as well, as long as they're done um, by somebody who knows what they're doing. And also, you need to do multiple sessions. Remember, it took years to form the scars, so it's going to take time mm-hmm. to get rid of them. Very, 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 very important. If something was acquired over many years, it's, it's impossible to fix it in one session. So just be patient when it comes to that. And, and that's very similar to things like chickenpox scars too. A mm-hmm. little bit different because there are concavities. Maybe we can do other things for them. Yeah, listen, those are difficult scars just because of the topography of them. And and again, I would use the same type of uh, options as we do for acne scarring. I mean, the Morpheus, at least microneedling, but you know, if you can add radio frequency, it's great. The CO two laser, and then sometimes uh, if there's li- little indentions that you just can't get rid of, the idea would be to fill them with uh, you know a hyaluronic acid filler. You know, and and. Just to kind of give you some examples of very common scenarios that we see on a regular basis. Number one, first and foremost, always remember your plastic surgeon is your scar expert. So if you have a scar, don't go see anybody else but a plastic surgeon. We are trained in this better than anyone. Now, the most common complaints I see from people, run of the mill, thyroid scar. Okay, right in the middle of your neck, you just had a thyroidectomy, you're a beautiful girl in your mid-20s and you feel like you have to wear a 
scarf for the rest of your life. I have treated many of these. We have treated many of these in this practice and literally have treated it with multiple sessions of microneedling. And I can show you multiple patients that the scar is almost gone to the point where it's almost completely disappeared. So there are areas because there's not a lot of tension in that area. It heals really nicely and it goes away. That's one place. Second place that we see all the time, C-section scars. C-section scars, people complain of them all the time. It's one of those things that if you're having a C-section, go see a plastic surgeon immediately after. A week or two after, maybe you can get embraced dressings. Maybe they can help you really kind of manage the scar over time. Third third area is little tiny little laparoscopic scars, tiny little incisions that end up not looking very good from laparoscopic cholecystectomies, taking your gallbladder out or or your appendix out. These are all very simple scars that people have. And if they're treated properly, could really almost disappear to the point where you don't see them at all. And then the last thing, scars that we create ourselves from liposuction. One of the most common complaints I get from people that come in from other places saying, I had liposuction elsewhere and look how bad my scars are. The reason they're like that is because there's a lot of friction on the wound. We're going back and forth with a cannula. Generating that heat. It's like a burn. And that's, again, if it's managed properly, it can be treated. and, And honestly, you won't have to worry about cutting it out later, lasering it later. So take home message at least from here is, if you're getting a scar that you know about, make sure you manage it properly so you don't run into problems where you have to do other things after. Mm-hmm, definitely. So prevention is key. Uh, hopefully you've learned a little something today on what to do with your your fresh incisions. And then for those of you who have scars you want to get rid of, at least we've given you some options. Remember, revision is usually reserved for a last, um, depending on, you know, uh, certain characteristics, and there are all kinds of uh, of tools in our armamentarium that can help scars look better. So again, thank you so much for uh, listening to us. I hope you've learned something here today. We've got some new exciting comment there, uh, content that's coming uh, in our next week. Uh, again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Danielpour. Listen to us on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you soon. Peace. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.